Hi, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Here we are today again to uh, dive into some amazing um, biblical worldview and lay some foundation for how the world in which we live today came into being. And uh, and we're in a, an amazing topic today. I wish every every believer could hear this and and read more about this. Of course, we're we're talking today that the headline is Revolution, What Made Translators World Changers? We're talking about Bible translators. And um, and you and I were just mentioning that the Bible that we encourage our people to read every day and spend time with God every day and memorize and enjoy, and of which most Americans have multiple copies right in their home. Uh, as we were pointing out, it's a sobering thing to realize that that was so controversial in its day and that the Bibles we have now in our hands uh, are paid for with the blood of many, many martyrs. There was a tremendous cost, you know, that went into uh, creating and allowing that Bible that we have that's so accessible to be enjoyed and read by so many people. And he talk, he starts off this chapter pretty dramatically. Why don't you introduce it for us uh, with with a famous martyr? You know, you you mentioned that now every time you look at Tyndale Publishing or whatever, it's going to be with greater respect. Tell yeah, us why. I've never heard Tyndale, the the person before Tyndale Publishing. I've seen the publishing, but I, that doesn't resonate with me. But the chapter opens up with William Tyndale being strangled and burned at the stakes yeah. for the horrific by by bishop by bishops. Okay. So by, by the church hierarchy, hierarchy, leadership for the horrific crime of get this translating the Bible into English. Yeah, and again <laughs> we think why is that such a big deal? Yeah, uh, but it was an incredibly big deal. Uh, strangled to death, burned a lot or burned at the stake. Um, why would bishops burn Bibles and Bible translators and Bible buyers? I mean, this was serious business to to even suggest that you would take the scriptures and translate them into the language of the everyday common people. And then the, there's John Wycliffe. Wycliffe. Yep. <laughs> he, I mean, he already died, so they had to dig his body up, grab his bones, burn his bones, and spread them over some 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 lake <laughs> because of his sense of doing similar things, you know, translating the this, Bible. This was years later. So, yeah, what, what would create such a, a an animosity, such a hatred that you would actually go find Wycliffe's you know, graveside, dig his bones out, burn right. the bones, and then throw them into. You're the sending Swift a message, yes. right? You're, the, the 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 official church was sending a powerful message to all the people. So so it starts with this premise in the book, and it dives into why that's the case. You know, because yeah. for most of us, we're you know our our Bible is, is accessible as pushing on the app on our phone, and then you yeah. have every translation, every language, every commentary possible. Yep. And when we take it, for, I take it for granted. So this this chapter really opens up that pa- that idea of where do we derive our authority? Yeah, yeah and that and you hit the nail on the head. The, the issue is really one of authority, and yeah. the, the author does a great job of taking us through three different phases of time. Yeah. The first one he mentions is the Roman phase, and of course under Roman rule, Caesar was lord. And we read a lot about this in our Bible. You know, uh, when Jesus says, uh, "Render to Caesar what Caesar's, but give to God what's God's," he's he's clearly talking about the conflict between for lack of a better word, church and state, the conflict between uh, believers and the absolute power 
of Rome as Caesar at that time, who was claiming to be God. Yeah. And uh, and he talks about the you know living under the power of the sword. Now you and I have mentioned we're kind of going full circle in America, and moving back into a period of lawlessness and and basically who has authority from where do we derive our authority? Even a lot of our documents, as we chatted about, the, our our constitution, uh, our Republican form of government, really flows out of this reformation and revolution that took place in the scriptures. But let's go back to to Roman time, uh, and why such a conflict between Jesus, you know, and and Rome? Uh, it was really over the whole issue of authority and who says. Absolutely. And, and you know, Rome has started out being kind of like a pseudo-republic with a bunch of like different powerful families. Uh, it wasn't democracy, it was a republic. But then, you know, a couple guys like Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar and those yep. guys kind of basically killed everyone. Yep. <laughs> you know, that he basically created, he became the godfather and and consolidated power. And by that he meant, you know, killing everyone, their family and whoever's in their way and became the emperor, the sure. god king of Rome. And, and so, the, so the religious establishment was really just a bunch of, of uh, puppets who uh, created fanciful myths that supported whatever the Caesars wanted to do. Yep. yep. And, and so there was little credibility among any of the, uh, quote, religious establishment because they were just part of the... Uh, uh, the the pawnbrokers, yeah. you know, of power uh, and in full support of of Roman authority. So they were just sharing narratives of a certain perspective and talking heads, and therefore no one was really believing them anymore because they they understand that these talking heads were just giving a story, a narrative. They, they weren't really presenting the factual truth. They were propagandists, you know, and and it's as much again like we have today when you look at the media and you see that whoever the uh, the ruling party. Uh, uh, the media basically goes along with right. with whatever needs to be said. They're all singing off the same script. It was very similar to the powerful Roman government. Right. I'm just saying there's a lot of parallel between us. We're going, <laughs> nothing's new under the sun. We're going back full circle, right? It's about power back then, and now it's about maybe not murderous power, but weaponized legalism, weaponized uh, federal institution to go yep. after censorship, weaponized technology. Yep. It still becomes a power of shame and, you know, um, so it's about the same power trip that's going on right now yeah, in our it, culture. It was the power of the sword, and, and what Jesus introduces is the power of the pen, because uh, Jesus comes and claims to be truth embodied, and Jesus comes and claims to be speaking on behalf of God himself. And so now we have a, a power encounter between Jesus, who <clears throat> claims to be truth, and Caesar, who claims to be God. Right. Uh, and uh, and obviously that didn't bode well. Um, well, it, it converged on a tremendous conflict, especially during you know after you know Christ was risen. There were several conflicts between Nero and a couple other emperors and Christians who just says, you know what, you have the power of sword, but we have the power of truth, and we have power of resurrection, and we have the power of eternal life. Yeah. So we will not yield to the sword. And many Christians were martyred for that. It was a convergence of, it was a colliding of two worldview, power yeah. of the sword and truth. Yeah. Right? And the Roman Empire was pluralistic, which meant, you know, it's, it's kind of like the American you know, system today. We claim to be uh, pluralistic. Whatever you believe is fine, you know, uh, whatever religious belief, uh, 
whatever personal belief. I mean, it's yeah. like a it's like a potpourri of of truth claims. It's all fine as long as at the end of the day you submit to the federal government. Yep. The federal government today is the final arbiter of truth in in America, or at least they right. claim to be. Uh, and so, you know, they don't they don't mind what you believe until it comes in conflict with the official United States dogma. It's very much like ancient Rome. Rome didn't care what you believed as long as at the end of the day you you kiss Caesar's ring you and you pay your taxes. You bow. Yeah, the Caesar yeah. is still the true king, true yeah. true God. Absolutely. Yeah. When push comes to shove, and there is a power conflict, you have to land somewhere. Yeah. And that's what concerns me again about where America is moving today with this whole idea of separation of church and state and the division of powers. All we've done is taken the federal government, placed it over the home, the church, and and the state itself. You know, Washington D.C. Uh, is is the, the the one who claims to be the final say, yeah. or the Supreme Court, or whatever. Uh, but really, even now, as we're seeing with some of these decisions, it's not even the Supreme Court because the Biden administration is currently saying, and with this latest ruling, you know, about uh, abortion pills, uh, over-the-counter pills, uh, we're just going to ignore it uh, because it's wrong, you know. So we have this lawlessness when, when right. there is no absolute authority. And Jesus claimed again, he made it very clear, I am absolute authority, I am the truth. Uh, and that caused massive upheaval. The other thing that I think is interesting, and we're going to see this as we go through history, is the common people have always rallied around those who have stood for truth itself, even in the face of of power. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Jesus was a perfect revolutionary in that regard. He claimed to be truth. He stood against uh, the you know the powers that be. Uh, he was for the people. He loved the people. He loved he loved truth itself. There was no power agenda with Jesus um, in terms of, of political power. And and people, the common person has always loved that. I think because the, everywhere where the, where where the gospel has not gone, there's just such a hierarchy, a false hierarchy. Of the you know we would call it the globalists the elites and then and then the uh, uh, what was that word that uh, Hillary Clinton used for the rest of oh, us deplorable the deplorables yeah there's always been the elites and the deplorables I mean she's not really stating anything new she just used a new term yeah she's just saying what people everyone else is thinking exactly <laughs> yeah. you know there, there's the elite ruling government class and then yeah, there's the, the rest Ivy of Leaguer the, who the knows peons. everything better and then there's the common people like us right exactly and so eventually Rome's power imploded upon itself you know Jesus said if you live by the sword you die by the sword and that's exactly what happened uh, to Roman a, a power and then interestingly enough you know so when Rome collapses uh, all the elite take off. Everybody's running for their lives. You have just the common people left. But interestingly enough, you have the common people and you have a certain group of leadership in the culture, the, the priests. You have good priests who are caring for the people who are left behind. And and so you have the, the common rabble, so to speak, the deplorables. None of them are, are literate or very few are literate. Uh, all the uh, intelligentsia has has fled Rome, and in that kind of chaotic void, you know, you have good good folks who truly love the Lord and who love people who are sticking around behind and trying to bring you know order out of the chaos. Uh, yeah. And so you have the rise of of uh, priests and the church having a form of authority, <clears throat> in a sense, in a good way because their authority is coming through service. Well, that's that's the difference, right? Because yeah. Roman ruled by the sword, and these elites, these these. Uh, lords or whatever titles were, were ruling because they were backed by Rome, imp, uh, military might of Rome. 
But now when Al fell apart, these bishops and these past, basically their pastors, yeah. or true, be, or or inaugurated as leaders because they've been serving people the whole time, and they were fulfilling what Jesus really has required of leadership, which is you got to wash people's feet. So they became when when things fall apart, the true leaders are the one who serves. Yeah, and and that was very evident in this. Era. And, and we're seeing this just by way of bringing it up to speed. Uh, this whole idea of who, whoever will be the greatest among you, let him be the servant. Yeah. In this in this void that's been created with this war between Russia and Ukraine, you know, we just had a team that went over there. The, the, the church is filling the void. They are, they are the boots on the ground in a war zone. Who's, who's bringing food to the, to the poor? Who's helping the widow? Um, who's establishing hope in the midst of chaos? It, it's the church, and it's not on the basis of trying to be some power broker. It's because they're just doing what Jesus would do. They're being the hands and feet of Jesus. But in the midst of this chaos, uh, what we're finding is now... Uh, church planting is spreading. Mm. Uh, uh, people are rallying around pastors and leaders uh, because they're the ones that are there for no reason. There's the, there's no reason in the world to be going into those places except for the fact that we love Jesus. And so that's what happened when when uh, Rome collapsed. There were good people who who Christian people who moved right in, filled the void, cared for people. No benefit at all personally. It wasn't based on political power. But, of course, what happened is over time, uh, the church grew in power, and as they grew in power, they also grew in corruption as they got away from the Lord. They, they start consolidating power between the different warlords, between the different kings. There was, like, political deals happening, yep. and, and and becomes a hierarchy again. And the big thing was when the pope actually claim to be God's voice on earth. So if you wanted to know what God thought about something, go to the Pope. And of course, that was a, a, a major infringement on, on the true biblical authority uh, to where a human being was recognized as the voice of God on planet earth. Uh, if you wanted to know what God thought, go to the Pope. Uh, the, Pope's, the Pope's word was final. And, and just a reminder, at this point, the idea of like a true democracy, the idea that like, everyone had a voice was unheard of in, in that world, right? right? Everybody was looking for a king-ish power, some intercessor between us and God. So having the code be the consolidation of that hearer of power was very natural for people because they're used to that format, that exactly. type of government. And that, and that yeah, that was that was the way it was. That was just just the way it was. Just the way it was. Because yeah. of power and might and, yeah. and might makes right. And so now you've got a very powerful uh, Roman Catholic Church uh, with the Pope being the, the central figurehead of that. Um, and you have the scriptures, again, that are not in the language of the people. And so you know, if you're going to the book and the Pope's claiming to follow the book, uh, the scriptures, right. but very few people can read the scriptures. Very few people know the scriptures in their own language. All they're getting is what whatever you say, what is being dispensed yeah. in, the, in the in the local uh, uh, parish. Uh, but they have to take basically take the word of whoever that is in authority that what they're saying is true. And of course, as he points out in the book, uh, when you get look in Tyndale's time, the biblical illiteracy even among priests was stunning. Yeah. He quotes in there uh, an example of how many priests, for instance, knew number one knew the Ten Commandments knew where the Ten Commandments were found in the Bible. The number one guess by the priest was <laughs> yeah. God, Matthew's Gospel. Yeah. Now, when you have priests who don't even know where the Ten Commandments are and don't know the Ten Commandments and aren't following the Ten Commandments, you know, he points out that uh, by Tyndale's time, the, uh, uh, the, the power system was so corrupt 
uh, and so wicked, and you had priests that were living profligate, you know, perverted lifestyles, and biblically illiterate themselves. And so you can imagine what's going on, you know, uh, in local communities. And well, so, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think this is kind of harder for maybe modern audiences to understand the amount of power these the the church had, the pope, the priest, the bishops had. Is right now, I mean the pastors, the leaders of a church, whatever they say, you can fact check them. You look at the Bible yourself. You're like, yeah. wait, he says this. Let me see the translation. There's a million translations. There's other commentaries on that. But imagine the sacred text that you're supposed to derive all your power. No one can read except the pastor. Right. So he could, he or she could say, they could say anything they want, right? They could say anything they want. And, and you'll you be take like, it for granted. you gotta You're take even... it for granted. You'd be yeah. like, hey, you know what? If you want to go to heaven, you need to each pay me ten thousand dollars a month. That's the only way to get heaven. There's no way to fact check that. There's no way to be like, well, that sounds kind of funny, but I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> I love your use of the word fact check. You know? Wait a minute, we're gonna do a fact check. Of course, it, of course, the very modern vernacular. Right. And, uh... But but just imagine that world for a second. So your whole authoritative hierarchy. Where's truth? How do you? What's the right way? You know, it comes from this. Bible, this it comes from God. There's a sacred element to it, but there's no there's no path to it except through this one person. Well, and, no... the, and the temptation to make all of that in my powerful position very self serving. Yes. I don't know that any of us would be able to withstand that type of temptation uh, when you're at the top of the hierarchy and you're the one who speaks for God with zero accountability. Basically, um, that's a, that is a scary place for any any human being to be right. put in. Uh, and so, that, but that, but so we have a again a very corrupt uh, church at the time, uh, and now you have what, what he calls moving into the biblical phase. Uh, they question whether this is this, this is a subtle but powerful thing. Question whether ultimate authority belongs to the church, or whether ultimate authority belongs to God's word. Mm. That is a massive, massive shift that that has changed the world forever. So prior to some of these reformers and, and revolutionaries, Bible translators, um, the, the, the undisputed power belonged to the authority of the church. In fact, even the scriptures derived their authority from the church, mm -hmm. not the other way around. Yeah. It was the putting the cart before the horse. And so heretics, this is funny to us, heretics <laughs> were considered people who simply replaced the authority of the pope with the authority of the word of God. Mm -hmm. A funny word to put a heretic here. Today, heretic means somehow we're twisting the Bible or saying something that the Bible says uh, it, that actually is untrue, twisting Scripture. But that wasn't the definition of heretic. Heretic was simply translating the Bible in a language that people could understand. Yeah, it wasn't just, you know, Tyndale and these other guys who were killed and burned and whatnot. It was if you, they found, if you found a copy of their translation in your house or... Uh, somebody was punished because they carved uh, some of the scripture on like a cloth for some... In the, in, yeah, in the language of the people. In the language of the people, just something simple. If you did anything like that, you'll consider a heretic. Yeah, which like, is crazy. So though. all your people who put like John 3.16, you know, on your face or like your bumper, bumper stickers. stickers. <laughs> yeah, you'd be burned alive. Burn, heretics, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's really the context, yeah. But again, the, the people loved these reformers because they were, they were not about self-promotion. They were really risking their lives for the public good. They they believe so much in the in the word of God and in the power of unleashing God's words into the into the heart of the average person. They they actually believed that it would transform 
culture. I mean, that it, that it would bring revolutionary blessing, yeah. you know, to nations if they could simply be educated in the Word of God. Uh, and and again, the people love the reformers because they were challenging kind of the hierarchy, the status quo, and they had nothing to gain from this except, you know, death. Right. You know, getting promoted to heaven. That right. was all they had to gain. They, right. So they risked their lives. Uh, they believed that the scriptures were to be held above men. This is radical. Even popes. And so uh, when you think about this, that it wasn't the Pope and then the Bible and then the peons, it was the Scripture, even above the, the uh, opinions of popes. That was a radical, radical understanding and really laid the foundation for our form of government uh, today, not only biblical church government, but our na national government. Yeah, the idea of equality, the idea there's not an elitist group who knows better, that everyone has a voice, that we're all... Uh, the the Bible's principle also, of the rule of law. Rule of law. I mean, the Bible's also we're all priests. We're, we're a nation of priests. Yes. In other words, every single one of us should be a minister of the gospel. Every single one of us needs to have our personal relationship with God. I mean, th those are crazy radical ideas that now we have normalized, we have taken for granted. But back then, those ideas would get you killed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and they argued that the Bible was a great social leveler. In other words, the Bible is a, is a philosophy of freedom, a freedom for everybody. And this is why it received, or at least these reformers received such a massive, you know, pushback, was because they were messing with the societal hierarchical stru power structures yeah. of their day, and um, and again, the, to 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 mess with somebody's position of authority is, is to invite attack, and that's you, exactly what happened. You mess with power, you mess with money, okay? You mess with corruption, uh, that will get you killed. Yes. And that's exactly what happens. So when you start getting into, okay, well, what does that word really mean? And now we run into folks, for instance, like Erasmus, who uh, came a century after Wycliffe, a leading Renaissance writer. He actually looked at the word uh, that where the Catholic Church translated it, doing penance. It's this whole idea of, of um, I have to make up for my bad behavior. I have to do good deeds to replace my bad deeds. And this, was, of course, was economically exploited by priests mm -hmm. because they would say, look, all right, if you want to get out of purgatory, this whole no notion of purgatory, if you want to get out of purgatory, then you can buy these indulgences. And of course, the indulgences went to pay for the, the, the church and went into many times uh, the, the clergy's pockets. It was, a, it was a way to exploit people. Well, Erasmus said, well, that's really not, shouldn't be translated due penance. It really should be translated repentance. Um, in other words, it was a matter of repenting before God, not doing good works to somehow make up for your bad works. This is where we get this whole notion of, of salvation by good works and, and, uh, indulgences, and a, a religion of good works. But it was, all ex it was exploiting people's hearts and their desire to make things right. right. When God simply said, repent, you know, confess your sins and let the blood of Jesus cleanse you, it wasn't a matter of uh, jumping through a bunch of religious hoops. So yeah. that was a... That, that one word had radical connotation. Let's backtrack and go all the way back to Wycliffe, the morning star of the, revo uh, of the revolution uh, or reformation. Um, uh, he, was, he was arguing that England should not be pulled into some war against France on the basis of whatever the Pope thought. And basically he said, why, why is our nation having to submit to a weak and wicked and compromised Pope? Well, Everybody in England was like, yay, rock, because it made sense and it made biblical sense. But even in doing that, he was messing with hierarchy. Mm. 
um, and, and it caused him problems. Obviously, he was he was murdered. So anyway, let's take a look at, at Martin Luther. I think everybody knows Martin Luther uh, perhaps better than some of the other reformers. Uh, he launched the whole Reformation, what we know as the Protestant Reformation. Um, and again, while he was hiding in the castle at Wartburg for his life, being being hidden away to protect him, God used that time because that's when he translated the Bible into German, the, the vernacular of his people. Yeah. Um, and so, again, powerful, powerful uh, picture. And again, as he's standing before the council there, what his basic argument is, is please show me from the scriptures where I'm wrong. Otherwise, I am a captive of my conscience. And so we have this whole idea that truth matters more than anything else in the whole world. Which was a radical concept because when Jesus stood before, you know, a Pilate, Pilate mocked at Jesus and said, you know, what is truth? Like, what is truth? Truth is what I say it is. Right. Truth is only what what works for me. Truth is what keeps me in power. Truth is what keeps me able to exploit you. <laughs> what is truth? Mm -hmm. uh, and so here you have a guy again like Martin Luther who's introducing this radical concept that that the Bible itself is truth, and external truth, truth that the Bible, here's a radical concept from Luther, the Bible isn't, or the truth is contained in a book that is accessible to every person. Yeah. What a radical idea. We are people of the book. The authority of the scripture trumps any other authority. I mean, this is the very foundation, again, of Protestantism and the very foundation of our, of our nation. Um, is that uh, truth trumps power um, wherever it's found. So that's Luther. Um, then we get into Tyndale. He was the one that pointed out the uh, biblical illiteracy among most of the priests of his day and the desire to make the Word of God available to the masses. Um, and he's got a famous quote, and I'm paraphrasing it, but basically that the typical... Uh, young boy behind a plow would one day have more knowledge of the scripture, you know, than the, the current authority structure. In other words, he was going to, to uh, disseminate that information, the power of the word of God, and get it into the hands of the everyday common person. And talk a little bit, because this is another another example of the the power of a word. You mentioned that word ecclesia. Um, and how it was used incorrectly or translated incorrectly to really enforce the existing power structure. Talk about that, because that was a radical... Yeah, and, and, and in many ways, it's kind of controversial even today. I mean, yep. the word, when we hear the word ecclesia is translated, especially in the King James... Um, I, you know, I, so Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, my, my, my church. Yeah, and that's often we, we use that, I'll build my church. And this is that was a statement that you know the the papal powers used that statement as a basis for their authority. Like the 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 holy church, the papacy, the hierarchy of church directly carries the authority of Jesus Christ. But the word ecclesia, based on the Greek idea of what that ecclesia was, was not was a ruling council. I, I actually read another book on uh, I forgot which book I read that talks extensively about the concept of the Greek word ecclesia and where yeah. Jesus got that word. That, that word was actually a secular word and right. not, I mean, Jesus could have said, I built my church on this temple. He could have used religious term, but he, he used the word ecclesia on purpose. To, and what ecclesia means is that it's a, it's a, it's a council. It's a assembly of those stakeholders. Right. So, so in the, in so a, it's a gathering of the, uh, of the people together to do business, right? Yeah. And then these guys are like, have stakes in this party. It's almost like a leadership team. 
Yeah. That's another way to translate. Or the assemblymen, the councilmen, the council, the ruling council who can make decisions. Right. So it's not just like, so, so even that translation blows people's mind. Of ecclesia, right. Yeah. So the notion being again that it wasn't it wasn't the power of God uh, and the authority of God rooted in an institution. It was that the people come together and uh, uh, the the God's people come yeah. together, and that there's been an authority entrusted to them to rule and reign and lead. This whole idea of priesthood of the believers was radical. Uh, that it wasn't a again a clerical you know hierarchical priesthood, but that everybody who bowed their knee to Christ and became a priest under the Lord. Um, crazy radical. Now, this, of course, isn't taking away from legitimate biblical authority, fivefold ministry, uh, church authority, elders, etc. I mean, all of this is in the scriptures, but what it said is that the average person had access to the Lord. Well, when Paul said, when two more gather, yep. and the Lord be in your midst, I mean, that's really what he's talking about. Like every single one of us carry the Holy Spirit. Yes. And we've been given authority from God to make decisions, to read the Bible, to have intimate relationship with God, to hear from the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's radical. That's unheard of. Yeah. And again, it brought massive pushback. So, <laughs> so you have, you also have this unholy marriage. So it was a political and power-based marriage between, between um, rulers, kings, who, who uh, were, were ruling under the, the belief in the divine right of kings, that in other words, God has established kings, they have absolute authority to disobey the king, you know, is to disobey God. And again, there's, there's, a, there's a level of, uh, of truth in, in it, but it's truth taken to an extreme. And so now you have kings, in a sense, going to bed with, pre, with popes, you have the, the, the church and the state coming together in a very uh, unholy and perverted kind of power system um, to where one is scratching the back of the other. And then you have people like Luther and people like Calvin who, who become political uh, and clerical dissidents. They're running for their lives. Yeah. And a lot of these people are gathering, like in Calvin's day, gathering in Geneva, and this was a hotbed uh, for Protestantism and people that are now beginning to read the Bible and see, hey, we've had the wool pulled over our eyes here on a lot of things. I think that's when Blood Mary was killing Protestants. Yes, uh, and Bloody Mary, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Tudor. Uh, Mary Tudor, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, 300 Protestants were slaughtered. So people were fleeing People to fleeing and, and becoming cities of refuge and, and a lot of uh, uh, awesome idea, writing, thinking, wrestling with the scriptures and things like that that's taking place during this time. Um, again, the, the whole goal being to try to uh, uh, educate the people in, the language, in their heart language so they can read the scriptures for themselves and have access. And so uh, we've got the Geneva Bible that comes out in 1560. <coughs> and this is interesting. I've, I've seen the Geneva Bible in the... What was unique about the Geneva Bible is in the column... There were foot, there were notes. Yeah, it was the first study Bible. First study Bible, and so, and and some of those notes the kings didn't really like yeah, because yeah. it started really challenging this whole notion of the divine right of kings, and and I just want to say this: we have still a strong flavor of the divine right of kings uh, in much of evangelicalism today. It's called the Roman thirteen rollover. Um, in other words. So much of uh, what, the, what they were saying in the Geneva Bible, just to backtrack, what they were saying was that this whole notion that just because the king says something, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, if the king determines this is the law, obey it, because it's the king. 
and we're good Christian people, and we submit to kings, and we submit to our authorities, and if the king says it, it's as good as gold. Well, these reformers came along, and they said, wait a minute. If the king says something that actually contradicts the scriptures, then we should disobey the king. Mm -hmm. Because the scriptures trump the king. In other words, the king himself is submitted to the authority of the word of God. The king doesn't yeah. trump the word of God. The king doesn't tell us the word of God. The king is under the word of God. This was revolutionary. I mean, this is the foundation of our Republican form of government and the freedoms that we enjoy. And I'm actually, as we're talking about going full circle, back to kind of a, a paganism, a a uh, Rome power makes right, it's amazing to me the impulse in the church to go back and to simply say, yeah, what, whatever the governor says, whatever the president says, whatever the Supreme Court says, uh, we just have to obey. Um, no, that, that's not the whole point of, 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 of what we're talking about today and about this, the, the superiority of the Scripture. So when, when God tells us something in His Word, uh, he's expecting that, that what he says trumps all earthly authority. And, you know, you have to watch this. Like, I appreciate Tyndale and some of these other people. They went through every legal means possible. Like, his goal was simply, look, I want to translate the language, in, uh, translate the Bible in the language of the people. That was his request. He made that appeal to all of the authorities right. over him. And we should today, too. We're not, we're not advocating a kind of lawlessness that right. just says, well, I don't like that law, I'm going to do whatever I want. No, lawlessness is wicked, it's demonic. So we're not advocating lawlessness. We are simply saying that the law of men should correspond and should line up with the laws of God. And for churches today that, to just roll over, because I go back to the COVID situation, just because, uh, because the uh, FDC, uh, or not FDC, <laughs> I got the wrong agency. FDA. <laughs> FDA. <laughs> because the FDA says you should stay in your home, wear a mask, and you're not allowed to go out for Thanksgiving, or certainly not go to church. And if you go, do go to church, you can't sing because water droplets will fall out of your mouth, and you certainly can't take communion. Um, and for us just to roll over and claim Romans 13, we're no better than than the divine right of kings, folks. I mean, um, well, this is a long time ago, and we've come a long way downstream. And God help us if we forget what freedom's all about and where where our true authority lies. And and one thing they rediscovered was the whole concept of Daniel and all the things that went on with with uh, his friends not bowing before the king, not bowing before the idol, um, yeah. not not so, praying. Yeah, basically you know, when it worshiping. When a, yeah, so a king tells you, um, no, you can't bow down to any other god but me. Well, yeah. okay, well I can't do that, and you can't stop me from praying because there is a god and a king who's greater than you, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But these are these are perfect examples all throughout Scripture. The Hebrew midwives who who refused to to murder the uh, the firstborn sons, right? Yeah, and even um, the the disciples who says, speak for yourself. I mean, would you obey God than? Rather obey you than God? No, you wouldn't do right, that. Right. So, so this is a this is a vital recovery of truth that I think is important in yeah. our day. And and so you know, so now we get to the controversial point: the King James version of the Bible. Well, why did we call it the King James version? The King James Bible was actually a reaction to the Geneva Bible, which was 
shaking the established status quo as it related to uh, hierarchy and the divine right of kings. Like, why would a king be concerned with a Bible translation in the first place? Well, because the Geneva Bible, which preceded the King James Bible, was actually attacking this notion of the divine right of kings, and King James didn't like it. Now, we're not suggesting that it's a bad translation or, or whatever. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, uh, as the author points out, about 90% of our King James translation comes from William Tyndale's mm-hmm. translation. William Tyndale was one of the greatest linguists that we've ever, ever known on planet Earth. Um, so it, we're not saying it's a bad translation. We are saying that what King James did not like was all those nasty footnotes mm-hmm. in the Geneva Bible and certain other key, key words, um, key tra- translations that he didn't like, which seemed to undermine uh, his authority. And so I just want to say this. Whatever politicians start getting involved in Bible translations, not a good thing. Probably have an ulterior motive, and it's probably rooted in power. And that's yeah. exactly what we, we had during uh, uh, King James's reign. So in, just an interesting journey, uh, uh, and I think an important journey for our listeners, for us to go back to, just to realize let's never take the Bible for granted. Uh, it has been the foundation of liberty and freedom and blessing. It has been the great leveler in society. It has removed hierarchical base forms of authority that are not rooted in truth, uh, and the scriptures in the hands of the, of the common people uh, is the foundation for liberty and freedom. It's why I believe America is still free today, and everywhere the Bible goes, it liberates people. It, 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 yeah, it, it basically creates a thriving society, because the, 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 the stranglehold society is, first of all, might means right, Okay. Bar- barbaristic society is like a basically a big mob. Okay, whoever has the biggest microphone, whoever can, whoever can uh, politicize the FBI, whoever can send secret police to your house and knock on your doors, that's might means right. And the other stranglehold of a healthy society, growing e- economic society, is corruption. Okay, and basically the axis of scripture saying the truth of the scriptures transcends your sword. The truth of scripture transcends whatever your own interpretation, whatever uh, your your humanly thought, human corruption, self serving, self serving. Scripture transcends all of that, and I think super relevant today because I think what's killing America. Yep. We're not dead yet, but what's killing America and and basically the 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 the, the technologically advanced world, globalistic world today is. Right means right. There's no transcendent truth yep. and corruption. If, you, the same if place. you separate the truth of Scripture from our legal system, yeah, people quickly realize. Well, you're just passing laws to serve your party, your party's agenda, yeah. to serve yourself. You prosecute whoever your political um, enemy is. Yeah, and we're looking There's at no today, transcendent you know, truth. Of course, at the Trump indictment, and and uh, I would say, you know, wherever wherever there's wrongdoing, we certainly have a legal system that should expose it and hold people accountable. But when you when you are avoiding the long list, like I, I saw somebody say, like, how about we maybe go after the people on the Epstein list, like uh, child trafficking? Like, why haven't, why has there been no investigation? How about Hunter's laptop? How about Hillary's erased emails? I mean, the point is, you cannot have a, a selective uh, ap- applying of the law. The uh, justice is blind. You have no. everybody's under the law, and the law is based on God's law. The, the DA has that that New York DA has what taken fifty percent of uh, felonies and made a misdemeanor. But but in this particular case, 
This case was is not even a misdemeanor. I, I listened to a lot of thing about yeah. that specific case. In my opinion, according to a lot of attorneys I watched, there is no breaking of laws. There is no technical, whether is that moral or not or whatever, yeah. that's a different story, but there's no breaking of law. It's not, and you elevate that one case from a misdemeanor to a felony. I mean, anyone can see this. So my point is corruption is to our face. The use misuse of power might means rise in our face today. This is greater than Donald Trump. This is greater than, than any any particular person. Our society is faced with might means right and will rampant corruption. Yeah. What it, is our solution? And the might today is not you know we're going to shoot you with a gun or kill you with a sword. The 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 injustice today is that nobody in the elite group, um, right? They're not held accountable to any other standard. In other words, it's not the Bible and the rule of law, and then everybody needs to submit to that, including the king. There is no submission. There is no accountability because uh, uh, we can never seem to catch up with the the crooks, so to speak, and then have a standard that says, hey, this is where you... you," Like, how about all the insider trading and everything that goes on? How politicians go off to Washington and and they become millionaires uh, in in public service? You know, these are the things that we have have got to get to before our republic falls apart. I want to say we're not using the sword yet. But they will bankrupt you. They will take your house. They will take all your yeah. money. They will, they, will, they will censor you. They will take your livelihood. And again, this stuff is like 10 years ago. It's unheard of the way they have politicized the might to censor and economically and bankrupt punish, you. Punish enemies. So what's in 10 more years? I mean, I got kids. You got kids. Yeah. So so who's to say in 10 years they're not using the power of the sword? Yeah. Well, well, they dozens of FBI agents show up at a, a, a pro-life activist's home in front of his, his six or eight children, however many kids, uh, be, be, for some alleged crime. I mean, this is all about intimidation and power. So we're not no, that far we away. Are, I mean, there's not this like hard line between us not using the sword. It's all, again, power. It's all public perception. Once people are used to and they have given up, surrendered their rights to, they're just like, ah, it's, it's just, it's not the sword yet. It's just, they're just throwing my, the, the political prisoners in jail. They're just bankrupting them. Once we're used to that, oh, trust me, we're going to the sword real soon. Yeah. We're going back to burning the stakes. Well, we've seen these business owners that have been tied up in, you know, legal system for years, only then to be sucked dry of all their, Absolutely. their uh, wealth and, and resources. And they didn't do anything wrong. They were just simply And in the end, they themselves. lose their business because they, they can't... Legal fees, yeah. Yeah. So this, this again, it's, it's, it's a bloodless... A bloodless kind now, of attack, yeah. but but uh, it sucks your life. But, blood but, up for but again, sure. okay. The good news. Yes. The good news is in the midst of all that, what was their solution? What changed the world was foundational truth. Yeah. The truth of the gospel and people standing up for truth and saying, guess what? Your power, your might. You know, your threats, your corruptions cannot hold sway to the foundational truth of who God and, is. And I think all throughout human history, just to add on to your point, which is so good. When when normal people, you know, people that just love Jesus and love truth, with no agenda other than eternity. I think eternity is a great agenda, by the way. I think I think keeping eternity in mind and doing the right thing and knowing that, that one day you will be rewarded for standing up for truth. The reward is coming. It might not be in this life, but when people see selfless, sacrificial commitment to principle. With, with no earthly reason to do so. In fact, it's easier to lie, cheat, steal, you know, and get ahead um, in some situations, at least on this side of eternity. But when people see that type of commitment to truth for truth's sake, I think it causes revolutions even in our day. It causes spiritual awakenings. It causes people to return back to God's word. Uh, our job, I guess, is to help you connect the dots, and that's what we're trying to do today. So, And, and what's encouraging to me is historically it has happened. 
and yeah. it will continue to happen. Yeah, we shouldn't be surprised at what's going on. We just need to follow the precedents of guys like Tyndale and and and, yeah. and Luther and say, hey, we just got to keep doing the same thing we did a couple hundred years ago. Yeah. The truth you know? the truth always wins if we'll simply take the pains to bring it to light, Amen. and that's what we want to do in this podcast. So thank you for tuning in. One thing we can do this week is just open up your Bible and spend time with Jesus and, uh, and realize that what you're holding in your hand has come to us at an incredibly great price. It is literally covered in the blood of martyrs. And so let's never, ever take the scriptures for granted. Let's love the word, eat the word, preach the word, stand on the word uh, and be proclaimers of truth and as you said pastor andrew we will see the same revolution that can take place in our generation so until next thursday spread the podcast far and wide and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you